I'm Josh, and my mission is simple. I teach tens of thousands of home service business owners like you how to grow a profitable seven-figure business. Every week, I deliver mind bombs and systems designed to help you gain mastery over marketing, admin, production, and sales inside your company. Each week, I'll open up the vault so you can finally take hold of the life and business you deserve. There is only one thing between where you are today and where you want to be, and that is the growth you're willing to endure. You're in the right place. Welcome to the Growth Fall. What's going on? Welcome to the Growth Fall Podcast. I hope you are doing awesome. I'm going to talk about... (laughs) This is really fun. I even took notes before recording this, which I very rarely do, but I had to organize my thoughts. I'm calling it the top lessons I've learned per stage of business. So I think most of you are familiar with the five stages of business growth. It's kind of a a really useful framework on like what systems you need and what systems, you know, the order you need to build the systems in your company, depending on what stage you're in. And I worked on this collaboratively with Brandon Vaughn. Um, Thousands of people have this document. I'll briefly explain it and then I'll tell you the biggest lessons I learned. There's two lessons per stage. I'll go really fast and I think you'll get a lot of takeaways. But first, I'll explain kind of what the stages are. So stage one, if you have a home service company, is basically when you are the person doing everything. You're an owner-operator. You're in the field all the time. You are shaking hands, kissing babies, putting out fires. (laughs) You're doing the things you want to do and the things you don't want to do. You're selling stuff, and then you're cleaning stuff or building stuff or mowing stuff, and then you're selling again. It's very up and down, up and down, up and down. Now, it doesn't mean it's all bad because you're probably making more money than you did maybe working a, a job for some terrible boss. And so maybe you're initially excited, but it can burn you out really quick. So stage one, the definition is you spend more than 50% of your personal time doing the thing that you sell. Doesn't matter what it is, if it's carpet cleaning, if it's retaining wall building, if it's a roofing, if you are the guy hammering the nail, cleaning the carpet, cleaning the window, washing the house, if more than 50% of your working hours are doing that, you are definitely stage one. Stage two is when you, <laughs> you're still doing the thing in the field, but 50, about 50% of your time is spent on the phone uh, dealing with customers and callbacks and administrative related things. So let me paint you a picture. You, you, your, your work truck or work car or whatever, hopefully not work bicycle. Okay. That was a cheesy, really bad dad joke, but your work truck is covered in sticky notes and there's papers all over your desk and it's a, it's a crap show, but it's not bad because I mean, the phone's ringing and you have at least a couple employees you're still in the field a lot, but it's not 50% of your time. You, you seem to be stuck in the phone. You know, every time you climb the ladder, you get halfway up the ladder, your phone rings. They have to go back down, go sit in your truck, scribble a bunch of notes out, and then run estimates until 10 p.m., right? <laughs> Give me an amen if you know what I'm talking about. I know so many people are nodding their heads like, oh, yeah, oh, that's my life right now. Or you're nodding your head like, oh, yeah, I remember those days. That's stage two. Stage three is different. Stage three is when you can make a decent income. The business is getting pretty respectable. You could have, you know, several crews in the field. You have a full-time office administrator or an office manager. Someone else is answering all the phone calls. And you have a new set of stress, a new (laughs) group of responsibilities. And stage three business owners spend at least 50% of their time 
trying to figure out how to feed the beast. That's my little cheesy phrase. I've said it for years, feed the beast, right? So you have all these mouths to feed. You have a small team, maybe have an office. You could technically still be working out of your home, but it's going to be very uncomfortable. If you don't have an office, you're actively looking for one. You have a full-time admin, several crews in the field. You still hop in the field and put out fires. You still hop on the phone and, and deal with administrative stuff a little bit. But at least half of your time is figuring out, how do I fill up the schedule next week? I got to sell. I got to market. I got to learn. I got to read books. I have to feed the beast. Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? Uh, we're making all this revenue, but why is none of it coming to me? <laughs> okay, and then stage four is when you're really kind of a general manager. This means you have many, many crews in the field working autonomously. You have an operations manager or production manager or whatever label you want overseeing uh, the people in the field doing the thing. You have your full-time uh, office manager. They probably have an assistant, maybe two. And you have a sales team. You probably have a sales manager with a couple salespeople below them. Now, this is awesome. I mean, you're a seven-figure business at this point, probably, and you're the general manager. So the main difference is you're doing bigger numbers. You're looking more at statistics and data and spreadsheets, uh, and you're having leadership meetings. So are you stage four? I don't know. Are you having leadership meetings? Do you have department heads for the main three departments, right? Meaning production, admin, and sales. If you do, maybe you're stage four. That's awesome. Now, stage five is kind of the unicorn goal, which is to become a real business owner, meaning you could leave your business for a month or two, come back, and you made more money than before you left. That's kind of the goal, right? Okay, so that's the definitions. Now, here's the top lessons I've learned per stage. Very simple stuff, but maybe profound, and maybe it will speak to you and help you. I hope it does. Stage one, the biggest epiphany I had to start off with was that the market is big, like really, really, really big. Now, I didn't have this epiphany uh, right away. I didn't even have it the first year because I thought so small. You've heard me tell the story of how I was so nervous that another person started a window cleaning business in my same town. I'm like, oh no, now I'm never going to succeed. Now I'm never going to make it. Boo hoo for me. I had this like <laughs> major scarcity mentality going on. And it's funny because now when I fly on airplanes, one of my favorite things is when we're coming in uh, to, uh, for approach to land, I love to look out the window and see thousands and thousands and thousands of homes, nice homes, or we'll fly over a body of water and I'll see thousands of boats, you know, uh, San Diego is a place that's really beautiful. I've been to many times and it's like there's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of these big boats and and my brain slowly started to realize, wait a second, the market is big. The opportunity is bigger than I thought. My initial goal of making a couple grand a month, $500 a week was embarrassingly small. It's true. That's my story. But looking back, I'm like, oh my goodness, Josh, what, what in the heck? How, how did that happen? So that was my first big epiphany. The second big epiphany for stage one was that I am not a victim you know, when things go wrong, when you have a small mindset, your your gut reaction is to look externally. It's to make excuses. Oh, I'm not succeeding because another guy started a company, right? I don't have money because rich people are greedy. 
you know, I gave out five bids and I only got one. That means people are evil. They don't know how nice of a person I am. Boo-hoo for me. Oh, I did everything humanly possible to make money and it's not working. Boo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. I shamefully had that mentality uh, my first year, maybe even my first year and a half, right? I had a tendency to look externally when things didn't work instead of ding, 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 looking internally. One of the things I tell my kids all the time is that you don't need more resources. You need more resourcefulness. You don't need more resources. You need more resourcefulness. It's not an external problem. It's an internal problem. And during my fight for stage one, we almost starved. I made $24,000 in top line revenue the very first year I went into business for myself. Yes, that's a nothing burger. But for me, it was everything I had, you know, working as hard as I could to achieve that tiny result. We almost starved. We couldn't even make it on that. It was bad. But the two big lessons, just to recap for stage one, was the market is big and I am not a victim. Those were huge epiphanies that helped me move into stage two. Now, when I got to stage two, I got new epiphanies. The first epiphany when I got to stage two, meaning, you know, my truck is full of sticky notes. (laughs) The first epiphany was growing my business is expensive. I had no freaking idea how expensive it was. In fact, once things started going really good and I was still kind of like stage one, I'm like, holy cow, I'm making like like $30 an hour. Oh my gosh. I only made $12 an hour when I was a pizza guy. Now I make $30 an hour. And you know, most of the people listening to this are hopefully you're laughing and, but maybe you can relate to it now, but we all know how silly that is because the money we're making isn't even real. It's not all of our money. We don't have a fully built out org chart yet. We don't understand our cost structure. Like you can't build a company around that. But that's what I thought in stage one. So stage two, I got slightly more sophisticated and I realized, wait a second, I have a couple employees. I need to buy a second truck. I need to invest another $10,000 in cash. Where's that going to come from? What do I do? How do the numbers work? Oh my gosh, what's a spreadsheet? Oh, I've heard people talk about Excel. I thought those were just dorks. I was just a football player. Oh, maybe I don't want to be mean to the dorks. I need to call one of the dorks so they can help me with Excel. (laughs) Growing's expensive. How do I make it work? That was my big epiphany initially in stage two. The second epiphany with stage two for me was that my employees, I know this is going to be very shocking, but you know, they don't care as much as you do as the owner. So my epiphany was my employees don't care as much as me. They don't care as much as I do. And naively and ignorantly and stupidly and embarrassingly, I was like full of passion and I wanted to build something special. And I thought, cool, I hired a couple people. They're going to be just like me and we're going to build this together. And it was like that for a short time. But then piece by piece, you know, day by day, month by month, it started to reveal itself that, you know what? Like they weren't equity owners in the company. They weren't CEOs. They weren't entrepreneurs. They were just there for a job. And by the way, they weren't doing anything wrong. They weren't bad. If anything, they they went above and beyond because of my own enthusiasm. But as stupid as it sounds, in stage two, I realized, huh, everything my employees do is going to be exactly what I do, but a little bit less. That's a mind bomb. That's a big thing. If you have a small company right now, you need to set the bar so high 
in terms of service, organization, you know, sales, just uh, consistency, discipline, whatever it is that you're doing, you got to set it so high that when you get four layers deep, you're still better than the competition in terms of your service, right? Because they're going to do what you do, but a little bit less, and that keeps happening. So uh, I muscled through it by the grace of God. We got to stage three, and we had several crews going, had an admin, had an office. It was like, oh, like amazing, but there was some weirdness, right? It's like, like give me a high five or like leave me, leave me an iTunes review and in your comments, let me know that you can relate to the stage three uh, struggle. You're doing 50 grand a month. You're doing 70 grand a month. You're doing like numbers that you thought were crazy and but you don't have any money. You're like, wait, what? How do I not have money? I'm doing these huge numbers. I'm rich. I'm rich poor. I'm paper rich. I'm whatever. How is all this revenue coming in and going out and I have $7 and I'm still buying like value bargain ramen noodle packets? What the heck, right? So stage three, here's my big two epiphanies. The first epiphany was number one, you have to measure everything, everything. I didn't understand metrics, KPIs. I didn't understand what a customer acquisition cost was. I didn't understand what a CBR was, which is a callback rate. I didn't know you should measure the CBR per crew. I didn't understand commission versus hourly pay. I didn't know anything about any of the things. But that you know, year and a half period where I was fighting through stage three, it all became clear that I have to measure everything. Listen to this quote. There's two quotes that, that apply to this. Number one, math is the path. So burn that into your brain. The second quote is that whatever is measured will improve. I love that. You know, whatever is measured will improve. I guess you could derive like a negative version of that quote and say whatever is not measured will not improve. Kind of means the same thing, tomato, tomato, depending on your personality type. Maybe (laughs) one version will resonate more than the other one. But my big epiphany was to measure everything. The second big epiphany in stage three. Okay. Now you got to realize we have an office, a big fat lease payment. We didn't buy our building, but we leased it. And even though it wasn't a huge amount of money at the time relative, it was a ginormous, huge, crazy amount of money. And it terrified us. And here's my second epiphany for stage three. Growing my business is even more expensive. Now (laughs) in stage two, one of my epiphanies was that growing your business is is expensive. I didn't realize that in stage one. And then when I get to stage three, I realize again, the same thing, but even at a deeper level, growing my business is even more expensive. Think about it. When you are making money as an owner operator, and then you go to stage two, then you go to stage three, you really start to understand what an org chart is. For example, if your business, if you think you're crushing it and you're taking a huge personal income out of your business, but you don't have any kind of benefits, perks, let alone health insurance and retirement accounts for your staff. You don't have an operations manager. You don't have a sales manager. You don't have, uh, I don't know, different technology investments like iPads for all of your crews or you know tracking GPS trackers on all of your trucks. If your branding is not on point, there's like all these things that you need to have margin for, cash for, money for, that honestly, even though it seems silly after the fact, it just kind of blindsides you. And you realize, my goodness, I need, I need like better uniforms. I need a consistent um, 
storage system in my shop for all the trucks. I need labels and bins and every truck needs to be like uniform. And so I have to retrofit everything. I have to, you know, buy iPads so people can use the software that we invested in. We have to pay for an operations manager who is not producing any revenue, but is getting paid a big fat salary because he has a very complex, stressful job. And where does that going to go in the budget? Holy crap. I've never had a budget. Do I need a budget? These are the thoughts that go through a stage three business owner's head. And it's normal. It's totally normal. So if you're going through this, you shouldn't panic. You're, you, if you're laughing, it's because you already did this and you're, and you're like just agreeing like, yeah, that's so true. That's what happened to me. If you're not laughing and you want to throw up, it's because maybe you're currently going through it. And that's okay, though. This is normal. This is a progression. Growth, you know, you have to rip the muscle apart to replace it with new muscle, right? The lactic acid, you have to tear the muscle to grow the muscle. For a tree to go up, it first has to be a seed that goes into the ground. It has to go down before it goes up. But these were my epiphanies. Now, when I got to stage four, I had a couple new epiphanies. Stage four, meaning I was the general manager of the company. And I had, you know, a bunch of crews, I don't know, maybe eight crews, six or eight crews. We had a full-time uh, admin team, multiple people in the office. We had a sales team. We had cubicles and multiple salespeople and KPI dashboards. We had all kinds of dashboards for everything you can imagine. We had a budget. We had targets. We had you know daily meetings and weekly meetings, and we were a real company. But you know, as, as smart as I thought I was, I quickly realized that guess what? There's just more stuff to learn and I know nothing. <laughs> so stage four, number one, good technicians don't make good leaders. Now, I'm not saying that as a blanket statement to you, but I will tell you as a business coach who's worked with over a thousand people and had a gajillion conversations, plus my own life experience, that it's often the case that your best technician will make a terrible operations manager or office manager or sales manager. And when you get to stage four, you're really kind of completing your leadership team. What ends up happening a lot of times is it'll be good for a few months and it will all fall apart and then it will keep falling apart. And one of the reasons that happens is because you're only doing promotion from within. You have a tech, you have a field worker who gets met. He is the highest man hour out of the whole company, the most reviews out of the company. He upsells more than anyone in the company. And so you think you're doing the logical thing saying, this guy's a rock star. I need to make this person, you know, like the ops manager or whatever. And he's on board because he gets to wear a clean shirt and he gets to boss people around and he gets to drive around in a company car all day. Uh, but it doesn't work. And there's lots of reasons it doesn't work. But long story short, the skill set that makes a good technician is not the same skill set that makes a good operations manager. And you can learn that the hard way, or you can give yourself a little red flag in the back of your head and just look out for what I'm talking about. If you're about to promote someone to take on a leadership role that's more organizational focused, more leadership and managerial focused, but they've been kind of customer facing direct with customers this whole time, be very careful. That was a big epiphany for me. The second epiphany for me at stage four was to not take my eye off the ball too early. This is another huge pitfall, very common. And when you're doing it as an owner, you don't realize you're doing it. I mean, you genuinely in your head, you say, I did it. My company's awesome. 
I have a great team. Things are magical and warm and fuzzy and cuddly and, and just, you know, filled with sprinkles and cotton candy. And it's amazing. So I'm going to start working, you know, 10 hours a week and I'm going to go on vacations and then I'm going to buy, you know, three hot tubs and 14 jet skis and it's all good. Everything's going to grow. We're going to make money. Everybody's totally committed. And that's a huge mistake. I made that mistake. It set us back a lot. It cost us tens and tens of thousands of dollars, not to mention the frustration, because you're not out of the woods. I don't care if you're doing a million dollars or not. In fact, a lot of people I work with, they hit a million, and right after that happens, and I don't just mean literally a million, it might be like 1.2, 1.1, 1.4, when they cross it for the first time, Oftentimes what happens is the owner is, is, it's like he feels like he's finishing a marathon and they're like, ah, ah, I did it. (sighs) (sighs) Like that's what they feel like. And so what do they do? They take their eye off the ball, not intentionally to be irresponsible, but that's what they do. And then they have a down year. Then they dip back down to 900,000. There's massive turnover. They have no margins. They have to, you know, extend their line of credit for their business to like make up for all the craziness. Their reviews go down to 3.8. Like all kinds of bad things can happen. That happened to me. And I wasn't intentionally being uh, irresponsible with my company. It had to do with the epiphany that I was going to learn in stage five. Once you have a general manager to run your entire company. Now, this is essentially the CEO of the company. He is facilitating, you know, leadership criteria, success criteria in meetings with your leadership, which is your admin, production and sales teams, and then you have your ops manager, sales manager and um, production man- or uh, admin manager kind of like executing with all the the lower level employees. It feels like you have a real company, but when you get to that point, that's when you're a real business owner in stage five. But here's the first thing I learned in stage five. The very first big epiphany that stuck with me to this day and then was amplified a thousand percent because of my software company, which was much more painful than even my service company, which I'm talking about here. Here's my big epiphany. Stage five, I'm doing quote unquote, you know, big things. Here's what I learned. I know nothing. (laughs) I'm not being like uh, dramatic. I literally finally realized I don't know anything. I thought I was so smart. I thought I figured it out. I thought I gamed the system. You know, I thought I got the right people around me and I was amazing. and, And I just wasn't. And I realized you have to pay attention to your asset. You have to pay attention to your investment. And for whatever reason, up until that point, it had really honestly slipped my mind because I had thought so small in the beginning for many, many years in my company because I thought making $500 a week was impossible and then making $10,000 a month and $50,000, $100,000, $200,000 a month. It all felt impossible because of the things we were doing in my brain, even though this is silly and embarrassing to admit, at the time, I literally thought I was like king of the world or something and that I had figured it out and I was like this, you know, bulletproof business owner, which is so pathetic and so embarrassing. But I'm telling you in an effort to help you in case you're thinking that because I know other people are thinking that. And the bigger you get, the dumber you know you are, right? I don't know if it was Socrates or Aristotle, but, you know, years later in life, I realized that, you know, one of the most famous philosophical quotes of all time was like, you know, the only thing I know is that I know nothing. (laughs) Only a very smart person full of wisdom and life experience would even say something like that. 
because the dumbest people think they know the most. And the smartest people recognize, it's not false humility, they recognize the literal truth that they don't know anything. So that was big for me. And then the second epiphany to wrap this up in stage five was that my business was tiny. So this is me supposedly crossing the finish line. But really, I had come full circle and realized that I hadn't really done anything. And I'm not trying to diminish, you know, what we did. We created jobs. We impacted people. I grew. I learned a ton of things. I'm not, like, doing, like, false humility of, like, oh, you know, uh, you know, I was just doing what was right. And, you know, I'm not that special. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, literally, mathematically, statistically, my business was a nothing burger. Let me tell you why. The Small Business Administration, you know, SBA.gov for the United States, defines a small business as any company with less than 500 employees. And what's so funny is with my podcast, with really a, a lot of the people I bring in the podcast, you know, the superstars, the, the crazy who's who of like mythical results, and they're making huge, like amazing impacts and generating crazy numbers, or even Brandon, you know, Brandon Vaughn did 450000 a month or whatever it was. His company is tiny. It was nothing. And so, you know, where I am now in my life is all the people I look up to now, they like lovingly look down on me and like pat my head and they're like, oh, good job, bud. You know, you'll get there. And But then when I look into the cleaning, pressure washing and window cleaning industry, people think like I did something special or big. But the truth is I didn't do anything. You know, I still to this day view my cleaning business as my training wheels business. I don't know if you're going to keep your home service company forever or if you're going to also treat it like a training wheels business, but just just know this, that life has a way of humbling you, it has a way of waking you up via pain. Pain is an excellent teacher. I want to help you avoid as much of that pain as possible. That's the purpose of this podcast today. And I don't know, I hope all that made sense and was useful to you and valuable to you. I care about you. I care about your success. If you want to connect with me, if you want to ask me a question, do it in our Facebook group, The Growth Vault. Just go to The Growth Vault, search for it on Facebook, join it. It's totally free. And you can ask, you know, hundreds of other, well, there's, I don't know, three or 4,000 other home service business owners in there. You can network with them and talk to them because there's power in numbers, there's strength in numbers, and you need to be around like-minded people trying to grow. So I appreciate you. I care about you. Take care. God bless. If you're ready to go even deeper, go to Facebook and search for The Growth Vault. It's a free community with thousands of other business owners just like you. I'll see you next time on The Growth Vault.